One thing I have done during this lockdown period is I found out some of the occupations of some of the people that rang around here. I mean, for example, a man called William Wheeler, who was a tag captain at my hometown during the post-war period until he died in 1969, he was a haybinder. And that means he made hay in the field, and he lived on uh, Harlow Common, if I recall correctly, which is the road that goes past it. My guest today is Oliver Lee. He is 20 years old. He has autism, which is a neurological condition that means he processes information differently. It also means he has difficulty with change and things that are unfamiliar to him. He has had some problems forming friendships with his peer group, and this could lead to social isolation. In 2010, he began bell ringing. It's the best thing to have happened to him. He has made lots of positive contacts with people and is now a well-established member of the Essex Ringing Group. Like many others, he has struggled during lockdown and the absence of ringing. Yeah, I, I know a lot of bell ringers are going through that. My first question to you, Oliver, is what made you take up bell ringing in the first place? Well, I've always had interest in churches. I think it stems from there because it's something I've always been fascinated with. And I think it's that background, really, that, that it comes from. I was always regularly attend- attending at my local parish church. And in those days, I never actually had a regular band of ringers. So I learned at uh, Great Pondon, which is um, a pretty average little six, just a couple of miles away from there. And what is it you like about bell ringing? I find the historical aspects of it very interesting. Because um, unlike most sort of sports, there's a lot of interesting background to it, I think. It's, it's engaging socially. So what is it that you found interesting. I suppose the amount of local history that there is around here. In my hometown, for example, we had a very good band of ringers during the 1920s that ran quite a lot of pills, a lot of, a lot of surprise major, a lot of um, a lot of other stuff, and it's just an interesting uh, legacy. Sort of feeling like you're carrying that on, is it? That's right, yeah, yes. What's your What's been your biggest challenge ringing-wise? I'd say it's just ringing inside of Bob Devils, I think, really. That's, that's one of the more sort of trickier aspects. And how did you learn to overcome that? Well, I suppose in most ways it's ringing at different towers, because pardon me, I can't always see the, um, the fifth slightly higher than the others, and I think that probably makes things a bit difficult. So what I've been trying to do is trying to learn Bob Minor and do it backwards. 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 So you learn one thing and you try and use the skills for another thing. That's what I've been what I've been trying to do. So you learn a more complex method and then go backwards. How does that work? What, what I've done is I've, I've learned Bob Minor first because Bob Minor is slightly more easier for me, even though it's a lot, lot more complex because it's uh, six bells. And I've just gone backwards like that. That's so how I've, uh, so I've done it. It's sort of learn one thing and go back on it. And what's been the biggest surprise ringing-wise for you? Uh, the biggest surprise. I think the biggest surprise for me is is just the amount of friendships that there are out there. Of, you know, a lot of history that's there, and the, and the, and the amount of them um, of, of kind people that there are, there are. Really, it's very interesting. If you had an extra million pounds to spend on ringing, how would you spend it, and why? There's quite a lot of unringable towers out there, so I think what I'd, what I'd do is I'd probably spend it all on those because there's quite a lot actually in in my area that are, that are, that are more or less I'm not rung these days. So there's a tower in near along Melford called Foxer, with the bells there haven't been rung since about 2007. And that's because of frame problems and, and other stuff. So if I had that amount of money, I'd spend it on making those ring up and teaching a band to ring, ring there again, really, because at one time they were a very famous tower. Which bells were they again? What, what was the church? Foxer. For the, it's not well known these days. It's near Sudbury, on the Essex Suffolk border. And why that church in particular that you're interested in those ringing again? They had a very good band of ringers during the 1880s and they rang a lot of their Kent Trollwood major on them at one stage and, and it's just a bit of a pity they're all ring all because um, uh, they're so interesting and they're so historically valuable and they've just been left to degrade it seems. The church doesn't have enough cash to spend on them and the whole place needs a bit of love. It's just, it's just very sad. And how many bells are there in that tower? There's a ring of eight, all made to note, all made to note six more warners but back six uh, original I think. Apart from the seventh that was recast in, in the same year they're all minted. And they're very light as well. The ten is only about 700, so they're quite a light ring of eight. So that would be a good band for people to learn on then? 
Yeah, yeah, they're a good set of uh, learner's bells already, but the problem is around clockwise, but that doesn't make any difference when you're learning. You're still learning the same stuff at the end of the day. It's just you've got to look to your, your left instead of your right, really, when you're ringing. I see. How unusual is that, that bells are rung anti-clockwise? Do you know? It's fairly unusual. There's only a handful of metals that have that. I mean, in Essex, it's unusual because there's, uh, there's two rings of eight that have that. The other ring of eight is actually in a place called Stansman Fitcher, which is uh, near Bishop Stortford, which is, again, near Hertfordshire. And they're the only ones that are ringable. And I'm trying to think of where, where there might be some other anticlockwise eights. There's Stansted. Um, I'm trying to think, of, trying to think of where, where else there are, there are some. It tends to be more older towers. So um, I, I don't think there are any modern ones that are anticlockwise. I mean, if they are modern, it's a very rare thing. Because nowadays, the things for clockwise circles. Yes, yes. And I'm wondering how difficult that makes things for people. You say you just look one way rather than the other, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you rung on an anti-clockwise? Yes, I've rung on two of them. I've rung at Stansted, which is uh, which are rung every month or so in normal times. And I've rung at a place called Northley, which is in uh, Kent. So I've only, I've only rung on two. Right. And how did you find it? It didn't really make any difference. It's just the same as ringing normally. We've just got to sort of look the other way. That's the only difference. It's not complex or anything. No. I think if you're a novice, you'd probably struggle a little bit because you're used to ringing on a certain way. But for more experienced ringers, it doesn't make any difference at all. Because at the end of the day, ringing the tenor behind your grandson, it's just the same in everything, you know, whatever way you do it. So it's not, not much of a difference. Bell ringing methods, how do you learn them? I tend to just look at a line and try and memorise the work that way. Okay, so that's the, the blue line that people refer to. What's been the biggest failure Ringing wise, ringing is not, not really sort of broadcast to the outside world in the same way that other things are. You get people involved in sports because it's advertised well and... I just can't, I just can't, I don't feel that ringing has been done the same way. It's been marginalised, so we say, by the press. You watch um, a lot of teleseries these days, which sort of depict it inaccurately, and it's just a bit, it's been more sort of publicity, I think, that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. What are your memories of where it's been depicted inaccurately? Well, there's quite a lot. Where do I start? I've, I've seen, I'm trying, to think which, I'm trying to think which one's worst, the worst depiction I saw. I'd say the worst sort of depiction I've probably ever seen is probably of a Dad's Army or of a Nine Tailors, because in Dad's Army, they go to this three-bell tower, or because it's it's in one of the early series. Because basically they, they, the um, home guard dress up as Nazis to make this film and they sort of get the wrong impression about it at all. And um, they go into this tower and I don't exactly know if it's even a proper tower. Really. It doesn't look like it. It looks like, it looks like a clergy vestry or something. And you see the um, and you see the ropes in the corner. They've all got ringing fittings on them. They're, they're all hung for ringing. And they sort of just go and pull them and, and you can see they're just sort of holding the saddle at the top and just leave, leaving the ropes tied up and everything. It's just very dangerous doing that because you don't know if they're up, you don't know, you don't know if they're unringable. You... Yeah. And another one I've seen is Nine Tailors, which is based off the novel by Dorothy Sayers, which uh, did actually have a big impact on ringing in the 30s. And in that, you see them actually start ringing from backstroke. So they stand the bells at backstroke and they pull off from backstroke when they actually start ringing. And I've been to some towers where they do that, where they leave bells at backstroke. And the only reason I do that is to show that the bells are up. They never actually sort of them start ringing from backstroke, because what they do is they, they pull them off and they must stand them. Whereas in my Nine Tailors, you, 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 you just see them do it from the very beginning. But to be fair, there are some scenes when you see them ringing properly, but when you actually see them close up, you can see they're not ringers because they're holding the tail end. You can see the Sally flapping in front of them. It's just um, it's just ridiculous. But then again, it was made in the 70s when, when that sort of thing was not thought of. And I think there's some letters to the ring world about it as well, but I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to go and look it up, look up at some stage and try and, see if there, try and see if there is anything. Yes, so we need better depiction in the media. Yeah. I think we do. But having said that, there was a, an episode of All Creatures Great and Small that showed it accurately, so... I think we need, need some more stuff like that, I think, try and get, get that sort of out in the world again. Yes, indeed. Yeah, my husband, whenever there's bells come on in the background in a TV series, he listens to them and says, those aren't the right bells for that location. Yeah, yeah I, I do that as well, because um, because I've, I've noticed it as well, because in Midsummer Murders, they, they use different towers. So the outside and inside of the tower and the bell chamber aren't the same place. So the outside of the tower was filmed in Oxfordshire, I think. The inside was in Berkshire, and the bell chamber was in Buckinghamshire. And the funny thing is, is that the bells you hear during that series are the bells of the, um, of the latter tower. What's the biggest subject area in bell ringing that you're curious about? 
and why? Well, there's a lot of things. You know, the biggest aspect I'm interested in is kind of the historical and technical part of it, the bells themselves, of course, and the amount of towers that they're in. Because I've always had an interest in, uh, in ringing fittings and everything, for as long as I can remember. And of course, ringing chambers themselves are very interesting because no two towers are the same. And for example, I mean, I went to a place called Frying near um, Chelmsford, and that's a very characterful sort of place because that's been unaltered since the 1930s, and it's, it just feel like nothing's changed there. And um, it's this that sort of thing that I, I find interesting. What sort of things would you look out for in a ringing chamber? That well. I'd say checking if it's got an electron chime device, because they're always very interesting. You've probably heard about these before. You use them when the bells are down, and you, the, the idea being is that you, you can chime, chime them for, for you know, to services when you don't have enough ringers. Oh, ch- so chiming devices, did you say? Yes, that's right. You pull them like this, and you're quite a common thing in some older places. Because at one time, it was a common thing to have them, but um, um, sadly, there's, there's been a number of you know, restorations where they're taken out and discarded instead of being restored. One of the local towns I'm, I'm involved with, they took theirs out when the bells rehung, and they didn't put it back in again. I find it a bit sad, because... They've been there more or less since about 1915 when the bells rehung, and I don't think it's very fair to discard them and do that. I don't think I've ever seen those. They, um, uh, they're, they're a common thing. They're, they're, let, me just, let me just describe them briefly for you. They're, um, uh, they're a wooden rack, a wooden rack in the, uh, in the corner, and they've got some little pulleys at the top, and they um, come down like a bit at the bottom, often with a pole or, um, uh, or, or ratchets. And the reason why they're called an elecum is because they take the name from a man called Thomas Henry Elecum, who was the creator of them. And he developed them in the 1820s. And they're, they're very common in most towers, but as I said earlier, in many places they're often taken out and discarded because there's just simply no need for them. And in, in some cases, they're, they're knackered. But, but these days, it's tend to be used for um, chiming hymn tunes on them or, or, or carols you know, during Christmas or something. But yeah, they're very interesting. What are some of the things that you're researching or studying to do with bell ringing right now? Well, I'm currently studying about the ringing around the Sudbury area, around the, uh, the Fox Earth area, as I mentioned earlier. And that's particularly interesting because at one time that area boasted quite a large number of, of ringers. I mean, the lar- largest concentration was at a place called um, Glemsford, which is um, down the road from Long Melford. And one time they, they were very advanced, you know, during 720s of, of, of Cambridge services and what have you. And this kind of died out shortly before World War One, and I don't think it's returned since. Because I mean, the bells are still around. I think they've still got a regular band there in that area, but I don't think it's as big as it was prior to the First War. So when you're studying an area, you're looking at what? ringing was done in that area? Yes, it's a variety of things, really. Sometimes I study the, um, the towers in particular you know, to see if they see what sort of the condition the bells were doing in that period. And other times it's about the ringing and the, um, the ringers themselves. So it's a lot of research, and I use a lot of sources for this because I'm interested in his- local history as it is, so I've got a lot of you know sources for doing this. What sources do you use? I tend to use a lot of things, really. I mean, I've got some copies of Kelly's Directory, Kelly's Directory, an older personal structure in the 30s, so I use those to... The, um, get the sort of character of an area um, period. I've got a subscription to Ancestry, so I use that to look up the biographical details of the ringers who rang there. And also in Ancestry, there's a little thing called the uh, 939 Register, and that's a thing they, uh, they took during World War II to record uh, people's occupations, fashion books, and that sort of thing. And that's that's very interesting, because it gives you where they lived and what sort of house they lived in. And finally, I use old copies of the, the uh, Ringing World and the Bell News, which are um, uh, the two ringing papers, and of course Dove's Guide. So I've got a lot of sources to use. I use um, everything, everything that I can get, get, get my hands on. Right. So you're looking at the ringing that's going on, but also the backgrounds behind each of the ringers. That's right, yeah. Um, one, one thing I have done during this uh, lockdown period is actually found out some of the occupations of um, some of the people that rang around here. I mean, for example, a man called William Wheeler, who was a tank captain at um, uh, my hometown during the post-war period until he died in 1969, he was a haybinder. That means he made hay in the field, and he lived on uh, Harlow Common, if I recall correctly, which is the road that goes past it. And was he a prolific ringer then? Yes, he was, yes. He, he rang quite a lot of peels, 
And for some reason, he always rang the tenor to, to Pills. So he was obviously a good heavy bell ringer. This is a difficult question at the moment because of COVID, but what ringing-wise is next for you? For me, once you get back to normal again, I, I suppose I'll, um, I'll try and ring the first pill because rather unfortunately, I was going to try and ring it on the, the week after things started getting difficult. I, I was going to ring it on the 22nd and it never materialised because of all this. And I always said that once everything gets back to normal again, once you don't have to go around wearing face masks and standing two, two metres away from each other, well, I'll do it. And I'm still sticking to that even, even now, you know. So you're looking forward to your first peel? Yes, definitely, definitely. And do you know what method you're likely to ring that in? I think it'll probably be grandsire, I think, really, because grandsire's one of my favourite methods, and it's, there's been a peel of grandsire on my bell since the 70s, since about, since about 1972 or something, so it'll be a real landmark if you could do that. It'll be the first peel of triples on them for about 40 years, and the first grandsire on them for about, 50, you know, for about 49 years, maybe. Oh, that sounds good. And also, I might try and, and also, I might try and add a footnote commemorating those that died during this, make it as a memorial appeal or something. To the COVID victims, yeah. Yes, and everyone else that's died during this year, yes. Is there anybody close to you that's suffered from it? Well, not really from COVID. There was an old boy that died uh, quite recently called Gore Lucas, who was a man I, I had a lot of respect for, because he was taken out at Langdon Hills near Basildon, and he, um, he rang a lot of porter pills during the 70s, and he was a really good man, apparently. And it was very sad to hear about his passing because I never rang with him, of course, you know, personally. I only met him once, but he was, a, he was a great man, I think. I've seen what he's done and he did a lot. If you could go back in time, is there anything that you would do differently? Back in time? I suppose I went back in time to, say, 2019. I'd probably try and ring the first pill, I think, before all this happened, I think. That's one of the things I'll try and do. And... <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Yes. And in addition, if you go back, go back further, I'll try and visit all the towers that are ringable at the moment. The Fox Earth and Oxy and... All those other places you know, that are more or less unringable because it'd be just interesting to see what they're like. What legacy or impact do you want your work in bell ringing to leave behind? You're a bit young for me to ask this question, but because you've got a lot of time to, to build up a legacy. But have you thought about it? I think I have actually. I want to try to do some some writing about some various towers. Do some writing about ringing history. I want, I want to try and teach people and become a good you know become a profile ringer really, same as a Gordon Lucas and all the other and many other people have been trying to that sort of reputation. And where do you want to ring next? I suppose you've already said it's in it's the peel in your tower, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's quite a few, quite a lot of places I want to ring it really. Because hang on a minute, I would like to ring it Maidstone, Kent. That's supposed to be rather nice. And and uh, there's towers around Sudbury that I mentioned for research purposes, and and uh, probably somewhere else. Let's see, Maidstone, Ipswich, St Mary's Tower, Ipswich. They're very nice, apparently. Hopefully, some towers around London, Lavenham, because they're very nice ring of bells. They're very historical ring of bells, matching because there's a tower I've not been to in my area. Probably saw Woodruff because I'm not wrong there either, even though it's where I sort of, sort of you know, had a connection to ringing all those years ago because I can't remember it. And finally, Cambridge and Meldruff. And by Cambridge, I mean Great St Mary's because I've rung all the other towers, but I'm, um, I particularly want to try and ring Great St Mary's. It's perhaps interesting to note that I think Great St Mary's is actually what you use on your recording. That's right, yes. yes. Yeah, I've actually rung on those, they're very nice ring of bells. And I think personally, they're saying equally good in real life as they do on that recording. Probably better, I dare say. What's interesting about them is that they actually replaced an older tower that they had. Because they're, they're not the usual 12, because prior to about 2009, they're a bit of a mixed bag, apparently, and I've, I've heard a recording of them. They do sound a bit odd-struck, I think, should we say, because they're in older ring of bells, and they had a lot of problems, and they got them replaced by the 12 they have now, and they are, they are very nice. Did you say that's somewhere you want to ring, or somewhere you have rung? It's 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 somewhere I want to ring, but I have rung there in the past. I just want to go there again, because when I rang there, I was about 15 years old, and I, I, I couldn't do very much. Because the young ring is outing, and I could only ring... I, I could ring the tenor behind of things, but I don't there's so many of us, and I kind of feel like it'd be good if I could just go back and ring there with an adult mind, because I've, I've certainly improved over the last couple of years or so, so it'd be good to go and, and pay, pay a return visit there. I was actually considering going over there for a visit before all this began, because I remember you know, sitting down in, in you know, my room on the... Um, what day was it? The 13th, I think, really, and sort of planning it all out, and by the time I, I knew where I was, it just went into smoke, which just, just happened. Yes, COVID. I've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> Yes, I dare say so. I dare say so. I suppose one of the good things about it, there's probably a lot more ringers when, when all this is over, because I dare say there'll be a lot of people that want to come back and, uh, and do it again. 
Do you have a ring in, ring in ringing room or any of these online ones? No, not. I've got this mobile app thing that I use, but I don't really use that, I don't think. I just tend to learn things, and that's about it, really. I go over to a place called Rittle, where I've got a friend of mine where I learn things. That's what I'm doing at the moment. It'll be, it'll be very, very good when we can ring properly again. That's what I always say every day. I can't wait for get, get, for to get back in, in the format that, we, that, that it was, because that'd be brilliant. That'd be good if we could, if, you know, when we do that. Did you say you go to a friend at Rittle? What is it you're doing there? Well, I'm just learning learning how to ring Bob Doubles and Bob Minor. That's what we do, because my friend's actually the organiser of the Essex Young Ringers Group, which I've been a member of since 2016. And she's a very good teacher, actually. Her name is uh, Christina Brewster. Okay. And are you doing that at the moment? With... Not, not at the moment, no. Oh, it's before, before lockdown? No, because I can't really do very much. Yes, we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be starting up again afterwards, hopefully. Do you have any other ideas for bell ringing projects? Any other, you've mentioned quite a few that you've been involved in already, but are there any others? Any others? I think, like I said earlier, I think it'd be good to get, get some bells ringable again, you know, that have been unringable for a long time, because there's no reason why they, they shouldn't be unringable, because, because you know, they're very historical, I think. But another thing I want to try and do is try and make people aware of ringing and make people aware of the history that's connected with it, because I don't, I don't think a lot of people are as, as, as interested in it as I am, because um, there hasn't been that many books written about it. There's been very few over the years. The last proper comprehensive book about ringing was written in 1931. And that was a long time ago, as you can probably imagine. That was before World War Two and everything else. So I think what we need, I think we need another book like that, because it'd be good if you could... Book, what book is that? It's a book called History and Art of Change Ringing, and it was written by Ernest Morris, who was tag captain Margaret Lester during the 30s. And except my edition's from the 70s, actually. It's a, it's a, it's a reprint that they brought out. And it's a very interesting. If you, if you get the chance to read it, I'd, I'd recommend you do, because it's got a lot of information about bands and all sorts. It's not by any means you know, comprehensive. It's not included everything, but... It gives you an idea of things. It's a good starting point. And you're saying that we need another book like that? Yes, another thing we need is a lot more county books about ringing around in various areas. Because during the Victorian Edwardian period, there was a lot of those. And there was one for Essex, but that was last published in 1909 by um, Diesel Waters. So I think that I think that'll be on the cards next. I think one of our projects might do when COVID finally ends and we get back to normal again and things improve, I'll, I might try and visit some, visit some churches and try and get that written up, I think, because it would be good, it'd be good, it'd be a nice thing to have for people to look at and read. Because it's not just the, 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 the ringing that I take interest in, it's the, it's the actual churches and, and towers that, the, that these bells are in. It's just deeply fascinating. Can you give me some fascinating facts or things that you've found fascinating? Fascinating. I think the most fascinating thing I've found, personally, is that in many towers, the ringing chamber hasn't always been in the same location as it is now. That's what I find fascinating. Because during the 18th century, it was common practice for tap many towers to have gallery rings which often shared with the organ or the band if a church had one. But during the 1870s, there's something called Belfry Reform. These were taken out because they didn't like having them in there because they cluttered up the church and they, they made it look unsightly. So in many cases, they either made these towers ground floor rings or they moved the ring slightly higher up. And I can tell you of one famous example where this happened. In the 1870s in Hertfordshire, they had an old um, 18th century ring gallery that had been there for, um, for quite a few years, I think. But in the 1870s, they took the floor out and they made them a ground floor ring. And apparently this, it made them very difficult to ring because of the um, long draft. And in those days, the guides, it wasn't a, a thing that they had. So in the 1880s, they, they put the gallery back in again, and it's been at that level ever since, really. Ah. <laughs> so they took it out and put it back. That's right, because it, it didn't do any good. And um, another example I can tell you of is Hartingford Brew, which is in the same county. In the 1880s, they had a gallery there. And when the church was rebuilt in the 1890s, they took that out and moved the ringers to what was a clock chamber. And apparently that had a very detrimental impact on them as they had to shout whilst they're ringing because the bells are too noisy. And apparently it's a problem that still persists to this very day. I've not been there yet. That'd be another place to go to once things improve. When people say they're noisy, I know that it's not a recent thing. It's always been a problem that's been there since the 1890s. It's always been an issue. For some reason, no one's ever been able to cure it either because I remember reading a copy of Church Bells of Hertfordshire in the 90s and they mentioned that they had big boxes on the floor. So I don't know. I'll have to go there and try and see if the problem's been, been solved at all. 
But that's not by any means a noisiest tower I've been in, because the noisiest tower I've actually been in is probably a codicot, which is unbearably noisy. You can't even hear yourself think they're so noisy. It's just not very pleasant to ring on them, because you're trying to conduct, I don't know, Bob Trevels or something, and you can't, can't hear, because it's just noisy, you know. You can't hear the person ringing, calling out the... Yeah, conducting, yeah, because that's no problem as well, because they, they should really you know, put a ring gallery in there, really, just to try mitigate the sound. If you had a magic wand and could change one thing about the bell-ringing world, what would you change? What would I change? I'd probably say... Try and get some more people involved, I think. Try and get more outsiders involved. I think another thing I would I'd try and do is I try and stop the rivalry between the Cumberlands and the College Youths, because personally I think that's a bit old fashioned now, considering that we live in the we live in the twenty first century and still you still can't be a member of one association and join another. Because you can't be a member of both, apparently. You can only be a member of um, one or one or the other. And I personally and I personally see that as being a bit ridiculous because that sort of dates back to the eighteen forties where rivalry is pretty much at its highest. Yes. What would be the benefit of being in both. I suppose one benefit is that the college users ring at St Paul's Cathedral every week and the, and the Cumberlands ring at St Martin's in the field. So if you, if you remember both, you could ring at both towers and pr- probably ring at all the all the towers in, in London. We could do that. It's a bit of a strange idea. But there you go. But um, um, it's, it's one of those things. It doesn't put me off wanting to be a member of, of, of one of them because that's one ambition I always have had, really, being a member of, of them. Yes. Do you know which one you would want to be a member of? Well, bearing in mind that my friend Christine's member of the Common News, I think I might go for that, I think, but I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to think about it. I'm still thinking about it this day, so I'll have to do a lot of soul-searching. And you said that getting more outsiders involved in bell ringing is something that you think, you know, you wish you had a magic wand to improve. But do you have any ideas on how to get more people involved? I suppose what we're trying to do is try and um, show more accurate depictions of ringing on, on telly, but not the sort of Nine Tailors and Dad's Army stuff that we've come to, that people come and expect, because it's not just the depiction of ringing that's bad. I've seen things that are shown six by towers as having a ring of eight or something, and that's just not right. So you think the inaccuracies are putting people off? This is a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Association of Ringing Teachers, ART. You can find out more at bellringing.org, where there are resources to support your ringing, to find out how to learn to ring, or to learn to teach. Now back to the episode. I think it probably is, yes. I think people people find it amusing, really, and they don't take it very seriously, sadly. No, I know it sounds somewhat blunt, but that's what I think. It's not just you know teleseries; it's um, some films as well. You know, they, there's too much of this sort of Mars bar type advert stuff going around, really. And I, I just feel like it's annoying. It annoys me when I see that because it's just it's not like that at all. Continental countries, it might be because they, they swing chime, or it, or it isn't now because they've got electric motors. But definitely over here, it's not like that at all. And I think people have just got the wrong end of the stick the whole time. We need to correct the public's view of what bell ringing is. Yeah, because you never pick snooker or tennis like that, and if you did, you'd probably get a very strongly worded letter from the Guardian complaining about it. So I don't know why they're the right, really, to, to pick ringing, you know, like that. What piece of advice would you give to new ringers? What piece of advice? I think what I'd say is don't be expecting things to come to you quickly, because it takes time to learn. I mean, it took me two years to handle a bell. It took, it took a long, long time. I mean, bearing in mind that um, I've got what I have. And so what, what I'll say is that be patient, because you'll be able to get there eventually. I'm still learning stuff even now, even during this period that we're in. So you can still learn things without actually physically ringing, and that's one of the joys of it, really. You can, you can carry on learning, you know. What happens? Yes. So one of the joys is learning all of this, everything to do with ringing. And what advice would you give to someone who's at your level? I'd say just be patient. Just be patient. Carry on learning. Just carry on with it. That's all I can say. Don't think you know nothing more than that. Okay. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? What from what from me personally? Yeah. It's not so much. It's not advice as such, but it's um, something that someone said to me a while ago. Because a couple of years ago, I used to go, I used to regularly ring at Wolf Abbey for their monthly uh, 12 practices on a Saturday morning. And 
I remember Liz Rayner telling me that one day I'll be a very good ringer and I feel like I'm anyways I'm getting close to that because I've, I've, rung, I've certainly rung a lot in this area and in Essex and um, of course I rung in many striking conversations which I, which I'm, I don't think I've talked about but I've done No, I'd like to talk about that, yes Okay, I'll tell you something about that Well, basically this sort of started, started in 2017 when I was 16 years old and the first ever striking competition I rang in was the South East England New Strike Striking Competition or Seacon and that was held at McKings Angley on the 1st of April 2017 and even though we came fifth, I remember it very clearly because it was one of the best of our striking competitions I rang in because the bells are very nice. And it was just a good occasion. But still, it's, it lives in my memory. It's been one of the most happiest times, actually. Because I remember the week, week up to it. I remember because I wasn't actually very well before it. I remember I had a cold in the week before it, sitting at home, watching Goblet of Fire and, and sort of thinking to myself, looking forward to, to ringing this competition. And I, and I did it. And I still find happiness. Just sort of thinking about it even now. And the funny thing is, we've been back to King's Annie list and the three times since really. So that definitely shows you how much I, I like the bells. They've left a deep impression on me. Was it the bells that you particularly liked or the occasion of being in a striking competition? I think it was probably both. I think it was the first one I did and I'd never done anything like it before and I just felt really excited. And I still, I still think about it sometimes now and have a lot of good emotion, I think. And, and I've rang in a couple more the year after because I didn't ring in the National in 2017. The year after I rang in the other one. This time we placed third. Uh, that one was another good occasion as well. And I rang my first National one in 2018 at, um, uh, in London. That was at Earl's Heart Street. Because some of my friends in the band, so that, that, that kind of helped, we think. Uh, last, last ones I took part in were in 2019. That was uh, Horton Kirby, a ring of eight near Dartford. Not a very good ring of bells in the same way that King's Angley are, but they're, um, they're okay. And uh, in the in that same year, I rang in Liverpool. And that was at um, St. Francis Xavier. And they were a good ring of bells. And what, what is it about striking competitions, do you think, that make them so enjoyable? I'd say it's the people you come across because everyone's friendly, everyone's, you know, kind. You know, you're all trying to do well for yourself. It's just a very good way of showing off various different associations, I think. That's what I see it as. It's kind of like a showcase. I feel like you're trying to have more than those because at the moment you, you only really do those when you're in the, up, up to 19. But I feel like you, you need to have some more from... I don't know why they can't be a 19 to 25 competition because that would be very good if you could do that because it, because it do it on slightly heavy rings of bells. Like say, I don't know, say... Um, i trying to think of an example of one. Like say Crumbs. What good heavy rings of bells do you have? Liverpool? That's very heavy, isn't it? That's the one I know. Not the Cathedral. I'm just trying to think of eights and that sort of number. I'm trying to think which one we could have or... or you know what? I can't see why I can't have ones and say Tutor Mendip or round there. You've probably heard of Tutor Mendip. They're a very fine ring of bells. Tutor Mendip or Ditchit or Lavenham or someone like that in somewhere that's famous. It'd be a good, it'd be a good thing because you, you, not only would you get the, get these um, towers publicity again, you'd also encourage some good striking on heavy rings of bells. So hopefully one day my dream will, will be realised. You know, the National 8 Bell Trophy really in the same way we've got 12 Bell one, I don't know, something like that. Because instead of ringing surprise major and whatever, you ring triples and, and, a little bit of surprise, maybe if you've got a band for it, you choose your method and do it that way. And also, and also you have towers open for the day as well, so include like an op- open day in it as well. Do that sort of thing, because it'd, it'd be a really good thing. And I dare say a lot of my friends would be in, would be into that. Quite a lot of people that are um, that like me. I think, I think a while ago you interviewed my friend Jake Reed, didn't you, a couple of, a, a while ago? Yes, yes, Jake, because he, he does the videos. He does, yes, that's right. And if I'm called correctly, I'm actually on one or two of his videos. If you look at his one of the wargrove, you can see me bringing the tenor. And what's interesting about that is it's actually very unwell on the day, so it's not perhaps my best appearance. You say that you're a member of various associations in your biography. Do you have any roles in those? I haven't had any roles as of yet. The only thing I... I'm kind of like an unofficial historian in many ways, I think. I think people come to me if they want stuff, but I don't have any, anything professional. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite an encyclopedic knowledge of all the local history to do with ringing. 
I think more or less, yes, that's right, yes. And in other places too, it's not just, it's not round here, it's everywhere. And if I don't know, I'll, um, I'll look it up and find out. You talked about spell-free reform. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I've heard the term, but I'm not sure what it is. Welfare reform has its origins during the 1870s when church restoration started because it's like a um, reorganisation because prior to the 1870s, most towers did have regular bands, but they were more secular rather than religious. So they're doing a bit of service ringing once a month or so, but it would really be secular because most services, they just hold a single bell. And also most ring chambers are a bit of a mess as well. So when you went inside a tower, you'd be filthy and there was drinking and disorderliness and goodness knows what, you know. And in the 1870s, it became a trend tree, say, for the vicars. It was mostly vicars that did this to take up ringing and reform their ringers into a respectful band. And the main players in this were, were um, uh, the Rev Henry Ellicum, as I mentioned earlier, the Rev Robinson, Hem- F- you know, Edward Robinson, who was a very uh, profile ringer. He was the first person to ring a thousand peels. And you had a couple of other vicars as well that, that got involved. I suppose it strengthened there, really, and it continued right up until the... 1890s when that stopped being a problem and one of the things they brought about this was the, the beginning of t- territorial associations the associations we have today and actually one of the oldest ones and one of the first ones is actually the Yorkshire Association formed in 1874 right and the Essex Association was another early one as well that was formed in 1879 and you had and it's still got them to this very day I think the, I think the most recent one that I can think of is the Dorset County Association which was formed in the year 1990s but there's quite a lot of them it's encouraging ringing in these areas and I suppose it's just it's making people to get together. It's just very interesting because and another thing they did was that they, they also um, put up a set of sets of rules in the ring chain that they couldn't smoke or drink in it or whatever. And, yeah, they had to go to services after ringing. And there's, there's, there's one particular favourite of mine that I like that's in a place called uh, Barrington near Emma Cambridge. And um, instead of having the usual sort of, you know, frame notice on the wall, they've got a massive board, almost like a pillboard up there. And that basically says at the end, no drinking, fighting or bad behaviour. Signed uh, the Rev E.H. Um, um, Connie Bear, who was a vicar and also ringer. who's actually one of the founders of the uh, Cambridge University Guild as well, Connie Bear. And um, he didn't do any ringing in his 80 years because he became a Roman Catholic and he didn't do much after that, I don't think, sadly. He gave it up his old age. At the very beginning, I said that you have autism. That's right. Can you describe a little bit about that? Yes, of course, yes. It's, well, like, well, like I said at the beginning, it's a different way of thinking, except it's, it's not the same for the other people who see religious. It's, it's a different sort of thing. There's people who have it very badly and people who love it in the middle, like, like I do. So it's a different thing. It's always been around. It's, it's not a new thing. No. And how do you think it affects you? Like I said earlier, I don't deal very well with change, and there's been a lot of change going on at the moment, of course, with COVID, and it's just I find things difficult, really. I can't sort of you know, do my own shoelaces and what have you. So it's that sort of stuff. It's cognitive bits and pieces. I, mean, I can write, but it takes a bit of a while for my writing to be understood by people, so I tend to type things out, really, when I'm doing things. I was only diagnosed with it a couple of years ago, so when I learned how to ring, I didn't know that I had it. But it doesn't affect me. It doesn't change anything at all. It makes a difference, really. I'm the same as old people. It's just I find things different. Because I think what people assume is that because you've got something, you're different, whatever you, and, and and that leads to a lot of complications and everything. It's just it's just one of those things. I think it's just a, d- a different thing. Yes. And how do you think that bell ringing has fitted in with your having autism? Well, it certainly has improved me as a person because I've met more people than I would, than I would otherwise. I've come more engaged in things than I would than I would otherwise. And there's quite a lot of people that aren't very understanding. I think they're, you know, they're, they're very patient. So it's a good thing you can have in my position because I know there's a lot of things that aren't, aren't like that. You listen to Fun With Bells, don't you? That's right, yes. Uh, what's your favourite episode? My favourite episode? I think there's a couple that I rather like. I think your interview with um, Alan Regan was very interesting because he's a man I've actually met and talked to. And I mentioned to him about it and uh, he seemed very pleased I listened to it. And of course, we've got Jake's interview that we mentioned earlier. That was uh, very interesting because it's good to hear him sort of you know, talk about what he does. It's good to you know, hear him again after all these months. So I'd say the, historic, the, the historically based ones are very interesting. What questions, was there, 
was were there things that I skipped over that, that you wanted to talk about? I think we should touch briefly on some of the Bell founders because I'm particularly interested in a firm called Warner's, John Warner and Sons. I don't know if you've heard of them by any chance, but they were at one time a very famous company, and they started during the 1750s, and they were originally formed by a Quaker called John Warner, hence the name. But they didn't start making bells until the mid-18th century, and there was a period during the 1850s and they didn't do any casting at all, and they only gained any sort of fame during the 1870s, 1880s. And the reason why I'm so interested in, interested in them is that St Mary's Church history, which is not many miles away from where I am at the moment, they, they are a Warner octave. And perhaps rather interestingly, it's kind of got me into Warners because they're a, they're, they're a very little-known firm, really, because they're you know, closed down after the, the end of World War One. And although they existed on paper, they, didn't, they went to liquidation in the 40s, I think. Right. And what were the quality of their bells? Quality-wise, they're good castings, but they, they just didn't really know how to tune them. So that's why you get a lot of weird sounds from them. They don't sound exactly perfect, but they're very interesting because of the, the, the history connection. Apart from the towers that you regularly ring at, what's your favourite ring of bells and why? My favourite ring of bell. There's quite a few towers that I like, but my personal two favourite, I think, are probably Langley Hills and Essex, with Gore Lucas Ranger in the 70s, as I mentioned earlier, in his band, because they were good ring of bells and they're very nice. And uh, probably the English Martyrs in uh, Cambridge, they're very nice. First 108 and they're probably one of the best states. Like, they go very well and they sound gorgeous. They're tailors, they're lovely. Those are the best ring of bells in my eyes, personally. And then my last question is what remarkable things happened to you that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't taken up bell ringing? Well, I suppose in many ways I've been open to the history that we have because it's very fascinating. I'm still discovering things you know, every day. You know, it's, it's interesting. Thank you, Oliver. Thanks to my guest, Oliver Lee, who has shared with us his passion for bell ringing history. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please consider letting someone else know about it. This podcast was put together by a team. Special thanks go to Anne Tansley-Thomas and John Gwynne Leslie Belcher, the Society of Cambridge used for the recording of their ringing. (laughs) 